Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the Fail to Fail podcast with your host, Don Abernathy. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Fail to Fail podcast, the Digital 410 Network's motivational podcast, and I know it's been a while. As we all know, the world's gone crazy, things are getting uh, tough. I've been on lockdown for about two weeks now. Which I know I can't complain because there's states like New York and California and other towns and cities and uh, governments and hamlets and villages that have been on lockdown for a lot longer than we have, so I'm not complaining. Uh, Our guest today, I've been actually trying to get him on for a while prior to the illness that has taken over the world that's causing us all so much strife and life changes. Um, He had actually been dealing with some illness prior to that. And so I've been actually trying to get this gentleman on the phone with us for a while, and I'm very excited that he's able to spend some time with us today. But before we get to that, we got to get to the other things. Look, I know people are losing their jobs, they're losing their hours, and so I'm not going to hit you over the head with asking you to sign up for Patreon. I'm not going to ask you to buy t-shirts. I'm not going to ask you for any money. I am going to say thank you. To the kind people at Computers for continuing to sponsor all the podcasts here on the Digital 410 Network. You guys allow us to continue doing what we do, and we thank you for that. And so with that being said, for you business owners out there, if you have clients working from, or employees for that matter, working from the home, and you're not using a program such as, um, I don't know, Go to My PC, um, Team Viewer, Splash Top, what have you. If you're using a remote desktop, that works, but you're really opening up your uh, network to some security uh, liabilities. And if you're adamant on continuing to use the remote desktop, please get hooked up with Duo 2 form authentication. And that computer's going to help you out with that. Super cheap. It's like $5 a month. And obviously, with everybody working at home, um, computers and internet being more important than they ever have been, hackers are going to try to attack your network with ransomware. So make sure, whether it's through at computers or somebody else, you're back, blah, 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 sorry, you're backing up online um, so that if you do get encrypted, you have a safe backup stored off-site. And the best way to do off-site backup that is continuously up to date is online backup. And at computers can help you out with that too. At computers 239-283-1120 or act hyphen capecoral.com where you can find them on Facebook. And another thing that won't cost you a dime, quarter, nickel, or penny. I guess we could just do the Please check out our YouTube channel. I have been going crazy the last couple of days um, uploading videos. We have all kinds of videos up there now, but just simply look for Digital 410 on YouTube. And please like, subscribe, click the bell. But most importantly, just subscribe. We got to get to 1,000 subscribers, and we're far, far away. So if you want to help us out, go to youtube.com, look for Digital 410, or simply go to d-410.com and click on the YouTube link. And um, I think failtofail.com has some videos up as well. But enough of all that. Let me just say before we bring on our guest, here's hoping that this thing gets done quickly. Uh, Here's to those that we know who have passed away or have suffered extreme illness. Right now, um, someone I used to work with in radio, she was the uh, secretary. The autopsy is still waiting to come back Um, prior to her passing overnight. No one knew if she had COVID. She never said anything about not feeling well. We just know that she posted on Facebook on the 2nd, and on the 4th, she had passed. So um, we're waiting for the autopsy report on that, but I do know someone else in my social circle who has passed from COVID-19, and I know somebody who's been in the ICU for a few weeks. So prayers to everybody all around the world who has suffered or know someone who has suffered or family members who have suffered from COVID-19, whether it's through simply illness and or death. We can only pray that those numbers get smaller and smaller as the day goes by and that we can all, the rest of us, stay healthy. And I hope you guys, if you haven't done so already, hopefully you're either maintaining your workout regimen and your running regimen or you're getting into it now. But that's it. Uh, you're going to happy to know that this podcast is not about health. It's not about exercise. It's about something cooler. And so let's bring on Neil. And as everything goes nowadays with social distancing, uh, joining us live via Skype is another gentleman I went to school with. He graduated a year after I did. Um, but um, we haven't actually spoken in probably 26 years um, in real life or in person. 
But uh, this gentleman has done some very exciting and very interesting stuff with his life. And I'm amazed at uh, some of the things he's doing. I'm going to let this uh, conversation progress naturally. I don't want to let any cats out of any bags. But join us via Skype is Mr. Neil Doppel. Doppels? Doppies? Doppels. I can't. Yes, Doppies. Doppies. I don't know what just the, I don't know what just the hell happened. I just had a brain fart. Neil Doppies. I mean, we used to hang out for God's sakes. I mean, you're a popular cat in school. Neil Doppies. Wow. I just had a, You know what the problem is? I made dinner tonight and um my daughter was setting the table and she asked me if I needed a drink. I said, "No, I got a beer." And I came in and there's, she thought I said, "No, get me a beer." And so I had two tall boys for dinner, and I'm halfway through my second one. So this ought to be an interesting podcast because, after all, she cracked the second one. You can't let beer go to waste. You sure as hell can't pour it down the sink during a pandemic. That's just a crisis in itself. So what do you do? Neil Doppies. That's a fact. Neil Doppels. Like the radar. Hell, if I knew I could have a beer, I'd have brought one with me. Oh, hey, man. This is a podcast. And once again, we're in a pandemic. Things are getting better. Um, for the first time since this started at the main grocery stores, they actually had toilet paper and paper towels on the shelf. So I was able to buy toilet paper without doing some backroom drug deal. The last time I was able to get toilet paper, I had to do it at Dollar General because I knew the people and they sent me to the back room. And it was like a weird, shady drug deal. So things are looking up. Publix actually had paper towels and toilet paper. I was actually to buy just regular. Um, here's a cool thing they're doing at um, our local Publix. I'm sure they're doing it at all of them. They now the uh, grocery aisles, every other one is one way the opposite direction. So now you serpentine through so that everybody basically instead of you don't have any face to face contact. So if two people come down the aisle, now since it's one way, everybody's lined up behind each other hypothetically. If you maintain your six feet of distance, you're breathing in the back of other people's heads, so there's no face to face contact. So you basically serpentine through the store. Which I thought was a great original uh, idea. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I actually went to the grocery store yesterday and I noticed those arrows on the floor, but I didn't even take time to read uh, what they said. I was just kind of meandering through, probably not uh, doing my diligence. Um, but uh, yeah, I did notice that there were arrows on the uh, floors at the grocery store. So Neil, you moved to Colorado. What, what year did you move to Colorado? So I moved to Colorado uh, September of 08. Now, you and I had the luxury, um, the benefit, I would say, of learning how to snowboard in Ohio. And as they often said back right. then, if you can ski or snowboard in Ohio, you can do it anywhere. Because essentially, we lo- we learned and grew up ice skating, essentially. I mean, all our snow was man-made, and by the end of the night, it was frozen on ice. And I learned that was true in a two, uh, 1997 trip to Big Sky, Montana, where I was riding like double black diamond because it was all powder. It was like like riding on pillows for us. And so we're, when you're used to falling on ice, uh, the idea of falling in waist-high powder, I was riding stuff that like some of the people who grew up there wouldn't even ride. Have you found the same thing from learning to ride in such crappy conditions? It's definitely helped you in your uh, adult life? You know, absolutely I have. Uh, although I did find out that to ride deep powder – you definitely have to change your way of riding, but uh, absolutely, you know, you we come from Ohio riding boilerplate, and uh, you get out here to the west, and you're running on some some nipple deep powder, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a different deal, but uh, it's amazing, you know. You got to change my life. You got to set your bindings up to ride in the back seat, as they like to say. I do it absolutely. So you have a very interesting life. You you do two things that I know of. Um, I guess is one of them a passion that you're trying to turn into a career, or are they both career oriented? I guess first and foremost, let's quit being a little so shady about it. What are the two things that you primarily do for a living? Okay, so my main source of, uh, of money is I, I bartend. I bartend at four different uh, live uh, music venues in Denver. Um, a lot of, a lot of concert stuff. And then I also do part-time work for, uh, a ranch that I actually live at. It's a nonprofit for wild Mustangs. So you live on a wild Mustang ranch. How many anchor, how many acres is that? We're on a thousand acres. And I would imagine it's <laughs> when you live on a thousand acre ranch, it's not hard to do social distancing at all. No, you know, honestly, uh, the older I've gotten, the more introvert I've become and uh, 
you know, for me, it's business as usual being quarantined. You know, I like my space and I like kind of being away. As a bartender, you know, I get my fill of uh, interacting with folks and all that. But uh, honestly, I'm more comfortable out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I know when you do a lot of your bartending and there's big name groups coming through, um, you post a lot of photos on Instagram. What's one of the um, live acts that you're most impressed with or you're most excited to uh, bartend at to be able to hear the music and obviously you know, I worked in radio for six and a half years. And what people don't realize is when you're working during a live show, you're working, you really, you hear the music. Um, but at a certain point it just kind of like becomes radio music where you really don't get the focus on it. And so you don't really get to enjoy the show. Like we used to say in radio, the best, the best seat in the house is in front of the stage. Everybody thinks the best place to be is on stage or backstage, but you don't see anything back there. You don't see the show. You, the music isn't set up properly. The best place is to be in out in the crowd because that's where all the speakers are hanging and aiming towards. But who was one of the favorite uh, persons you got to uh, see or listen to remotely uh, when bartending? You know, I, I, I get that question a lot. Uh, bartending, you know, customers always asking me, you know, who who was my favorite, this and that. And for a long time, I didn't have one. I've seen so many, I've seen so many good bands and so many acts. Um, you know, I probably see on average 200 250 250 bands a year so uh yeah i see a lot and i've seen most everybody but uh it wasn't until i saw prince i saw prince live at uh one of the venues i work at the Aachen theater in denver colorado and uh that was kind of mind-blowing for me that that performance and just you know that that musician that magnitude uh that was kind of it for me. One of the persons that's, that's, I got excited. The person I got excited for you when you posted, I and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure you bartended during a Culture Wall show. Oh yeah, <sighs> love that kid. And that's you the want to talk about a throwback storyteller, you know. And you said it, that kid. When I first heard him, um, when I when I started running, I started running to Dropkick Murphys. And because they have mandolins and banjos in their band, they would, Pandora would include other bands. And so that's how I discovered Dead South and Turnpike Troubadours. And so then I would look up Dead South and listen to their, their Pandora station and Turnpike Troubadours. And anyhow, that led me down this black hole to what I call New Age Country or even New Age Bluegrass. And I discovered Culture Wall. And when I heard that kid, I thought he was like a 50-year-old dude. His voice is so deep, so rhythmic. He has like this, he sounds like, you know, you'd expect to see like this 50 year old guy with a big old bottle. I'm sure he has the bottle of whiskey and the cigarettes, but then you look on YouTube and he's like 22, 23 and his, yes, sir. He, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been fortunate enough to see him a number of times and, uh, at, you know, smaller intimate venues. Uh, the one club I work at is the Bluebird theater and, um, it's, you know, 550, 650 capacity. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to see Coulter in there. Um, Sturgill Simpson was through there as well coming up. And uh, those guys are just amazing, you know. But Coulter, I mean, that's a once-in-a-lifetime artist. You know, his voice, uh, you know, just a, an amazing artist. Storyteller, Canadian, too. Yeah, a lot of those cats are like the Dead South. You would hear the name Dead South, you would think, okay, Tennessee. No, they're like from Saskatchewan, Canada, or something. A lot of those cats are up from yeah. the, the Great White North. Now, you and I, we um, obviously went to the same high school together. But one of the things that you and I shared early on is we both got heavily involved in photography class, and that kind of leads us to where we're mm -hmm. going here. And you, you took it a lot more serious than I did, clearly, because one of the things you've taken advantage of a living on that mustang ranch and your love for photography how long have you been doing the wildlife photography and how did that would that did that just come naturally from snowboarding and being out on that ranch or was it something you're doing prior to the ranch well you know it all came i grew up hunting and fishing i mean i grew up you know spending a lot of time out in the woods and nature and, and the outdoors has always been huge for me so it was kind of one of those deals where uh, and, and, and art has always been a big thing for me, you know, music, uh, j just everything art I love. And uh, I, I always enjoy taking 
photographs and stuff. And uh, about seven years ago, I just kind of decided to go in and, and get a DSLR. And, you know, I was doing a lot of hikes at the time and, and running into wildlife and that. And I thought it'd be really neat to start documenting it. And so I, I went out and bought a DSLR and really just started taking it out on my hikes and documenting, you know, all the animals that I'd see in that and started sharing it on my Instagram. And uh, it kind of started to blow up into something that I had no idea would would happen, you know. Cool thing. I know she had like 11,000 followers on Instagram. And, and so you're saying that basically started from just posting your wildlife photos? Yeah. So, I mean, I started Instagram. I mean, I don't know how many folks use it for, I guess, anymore. I guess a lot of people use it for uh, businesses and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, like all social media for me, I, I, I just started it to, you know, connect with friends and, sure. and that sort of thing. And actually it was my, my younger sister who turned me on to Instagram. Cause she's like, you know, you like shooting photos and that you should, uh, you should start that platform up. It's just photos only. Um, so that's kind of what I did. And I just, you know, was just basically posting photos from hikes and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't, I never claimed to be a photographer, just kind of worked into that. Well, you were talking about your DSLR. Um, what's your weapon of choice? What, what are you shooting right now? So right now I'm shooting two different bodies. I'm shooting a Nikon D810, and then I just picked up a Sony uh, A7 III that I've I'm I'm starting to work into the Sony deal because I'm wanting to do a little more video work and uh, and also lighten up in gear. Sure, and, uh, they are really catering more towards that. So. Has any of the bar owners tried to get you to uh, put the bottles down and maybe do in-house photography from them? But you'd make so much more money doing the bar work. Yeah, no, they haven't. I, I've done some concert photography and stuff like that, but uh, they don't really have a need for like an in-house photographer, I guess. Um, so not much opportunity as far as that goes yet, you know. But, uh, you know, I consider myself a photographer I kind of pigeonholed myself into a wildlife photographer, not, you know, not trying to do it. It just kind of happened. Um, but really I shoot a lot of photos and I shoot a lot of different things. And, uh, I really just enjoy getting out and, and trying to be creative. Now, obviously one of the things that go back to, especially people, our generation, when we grew up watching wild America and all those different shows, we'd always wonder how, the footage was captured, how the photos got, the videos were taken. Then every once in a while, there'd be like a behind the scenes video that would come out and you'd see the people sitting in duck blinds or weird locations for hours on end just to get that one shot. Do you kind of plan a day trip when you plan on going out or do you just go hiking and what you find and what you see is what you shoot? Um, it kind of goes both ways. Um, you know, sometimes I plan things out and like right now, uh, I've been going out for uh, wild turkey the last four days um so i've been spending hours um chasing turkeys off the ranch actually which has been kind of nice um but a lot of a lot of the photos that i get um you know i go into rocky mountain national park yellowstone grand tetons uh, a couple other places you know the, the big thing is is you know to get in front of these animals uh, with a camera and tripod and stuff, you kind of got to go to places where they're, they're kind of used to, to, to people. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a nice luxury living where I do and having so many national parks, you know, within a 10 hour kind of, uh, circuit. I'm just going through Instagram as you're talking and looking at these photos and they're just like the one of the mountain goat up with the uh, purple and blue background. It's just, I mean, this is National Geographic grade stuff. I know some of your photos have been published. Where are some of the areas you've had stuff published from? Um, so, so far, mostly it's just local stuff. Uh, Colorado Outdoors magazine. Uh, just, uh, I got my first cover uh, in last month's issue, which was really exciting. Super neat to see. Um, I've had uh, an inside spread with them as well and a back cover, a couple of 
miscellaneous photos here and there. They have a photography issue that I've been in a couple of times. Um, and then also I've been published with um, Colorado Wildlife or what is it? The Department of Fish and Wildlife. I have the cover of the uh, bighorn sheep and goat hunting brochure right now. And then I had the cover of the big game hunting brochure a couple years back nice. with the same outfit. And, um, the only other paying deal that I've had was I did an ad with uh, Hornaday ammunition. Nice. Uh, I sold them, a um, yeah, I sold them a, a photo of a bull elk and they used it with a, uh, a new 6.5 PRC cartridge that came out, which was really exciting. You know, it's kind of ironic. You mentioned that Well, not really ironic. I was, when I was looking through these photos and you're talking you know, I was thinking about earlier in this conversation, you're talking about growing up as an outdoorsman and fishing and hunting. And I would imagine when it comes to getting some of these photos, you have to rely on some of your um, hunting skills. Granted, you're using a different weapon to shoot with, but more importantly, the uh, the art of not being seen, smelled, or heard. Now, you said you obviously go to areas where the animals are, st- are more are more used to human interaction than their, their regular counterparts. But with that being said, even a semi, an animal that's used to human interaction, they don't like to be, you know, approached too closely. And so I'm sure you've, you've had to do a little sneaking and creeping up. And I was just thinking, I'm sure there's a lot of animal lovers and uh, anti hunters who enjoy your photos, but they probably don't realize that some of your hunting skills come into play when it, to get these photos to begin with. No, it's very true. And to be honest with you, I think I have uh, an edge over a lot of folks that that didn't don't have that background. You know, I run into people like you're talking about animal lovers, you know, those folks all the time. And we definitely approach uh, wildlife in a different sense. And, you know, some of my good buddies and uh, photographers that I look up to, we all come from a hunting background. And, you know, it's it's a, it's been a lifetime for me of studying, you know, animal movements and, and reading body languages and, you know, just a a lot of things that really help me put myself in the right place to capture the photos that I have. You know, I've never personally gone hunting, which is weird because I grew up in Kentucky and Ohio and I own firearms. It's just not something that I've gotten around to do. My whole opinion on the thing kind of changed when I, and do your, everybody do yourself a favor and go out and Google Joe Rogan explains deer hunting. And he was basically explaining that most people don't realize that the natural existence of a deer, for example, is very tough and, you know, rugged. Most deers die of disease, dysentery or malnutrition before they even get to a upper level of adulthood. If they're lucky enough not to be torn apart while being alive by predators and the the picture that he paints of the 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 livelihood of a wild deer, he basically, you know, he goes into great detail about it and explains how you know a clean shot is definitely the most humane way for a deer to pass, opposed to dying of starvation or illness or being torn apart by wild predators. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, hunters do so much for conservation. You know, I. I hate when I hear ill things about hunting, you know, I get it. Uh, you know, I'm all for everybody's, you know, do, do what they enjoy and, and do what make, makes you feel right or good. Um, but for me, uh, I've always hunted and fished and, you know, I don't, uh, I hunt for meat. I'm not a trophy hunter. I do my trophy hunting with my camera. Sure. So, well, I mean, and not to, yeah. ma- and you kind of, you kind of touched on a little bit, but say 5% of most wildlife conservation money comes from hunting and fishing license. And so if we didn't have those sports and licenses, that money would dry up and there'd be very little to no conservation going on. Absolutely. So have you, have you, has anybody dropped a hint or suggested that, Hey, why don't you start a YouTube channel while you're out there back, you know, hiking around, strap a GoPro to your head, you know, bring an extra camera and a tripod, just get some footage and get your YouTube channel up and running yeah you know nobody's nobody's pitched that to me I, you know i've thought about it myself you know the, the big thing that i run into um is you know I, i'm i'm an artist and i just it's hard for me to even sit at my computer and edit my photos mm-hmm. like 
I like being out in the field and, and chasing these things down. So a big portion or, you know, a big thing for me is just thinking about the hours of sitting, cutting videos and, and editing things down. Like, uh, I just, I'm very ADD. So <laughs> sitting down for those sorts of things is kind of tough, you know, and, and a lot of people contact me or, or, you know, I have a lot of people close that are like, you know, you really should be marketing yourself more, uh, and selling your photography and this mm-hmm, and that. And, absolutely. You know, I just, I just can't sit and do that. I just, it's hard for me to even think of myself as a photographer, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at it. Uh, you know, the more I, the more I look at my photos and the more that people contact me and stuff, the more I realize that I have put together a, a decent, you know, a decent, uh, gallery of, of content. So, I mean, 11,000 followers know, you on know, Instagram's nothing to sneeze at either. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, I'm pretty proud of that considering it, you know, just happened organically, which is, it's really neat. You know, I've, I've met so many fantastic people and uh, it's just, it's really been cool. What's one of the, is there a particular country or location wildlife wise or a particular animal that's on your bucket list that you want to get some footage of? I'd really like to go to Alaska and photograph muskox. Muskox, you know, there's a lot of animals in Alaska that would be nice. Polar bear, uh, caribou, you know, a lot of North North American big game is kind of what I'm into. Absolutely, I'm I'm just I'm just thinking of all the places that uh, that you've been and that you've shot, and then and something keeps popping in my mind. It's from earlier in this conversation, saying the early the older you get, the more you like the idea of um, being out away from society. And one of the things I've been finding myself a lot lately is I don't know why I am enamored with Homestead Rescue. And I've been watching Alaska Last Frontier for like 10 years. And I'm getting to that point, man, if I had the, the, the ability, the financial ability just to even here in Florida, just to go somewhere and buy five to 10 acres of land and get out of the, uh, the suburbs, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would love to get a plot of land and, you know, even go to Tennessee at some point and just get the hell out of the city and just enjoy some nice and quiet for once. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's good for the soul. I mean, it is for me, you know, I kind of, like I said, I mean, I grew outside, I grew up outside of Grove city, you know, kind of more, I had nothing but fields and and hardwoods all around me. So I kind of grew up out there doing that. And then, uh, what I didn't spend much time in the city until uh, I moved to Denver and uh, you know, it was fun for a time, but I, I always just kind of missed the outdoor or, well, I didn't miss the outdoors because I was still spending a lot of time outdoors, but uh, you know, I, I just missed living away from the city. You know, it's nice to go in the city, but uh, for me, I like to be away, you know, have my dog and horses and, and that. And Yeah. What's one of your key roles when you're working out at the uh, Mustang Ranch? So mostly out here, I'm just doing mucking, you know, fixing stuff that's broken, sure. that sort of stuff. Uh, a lot of the more hands-on horse training uh, is done by our head trainer, Stephanie. And then my girlfriend, Petra, she is the events coordinator out here, and she does a lot of stuff. Uh, we do events with veterans and uh, – some different camera, uh, or Mike's camera has a photo workshop out here. We have different retreats with some of the local schools, you know, just kind of educating people on uh, the wild horses and, and that sort of deal. But for me, I'm mostly, I'm just kind of a, a laborer. Yeah. When I first moved to Florida, I was dating a girl for a while. She taught a question horseback riding and one of the part-time jobs I picked up was kind of mucking out stalls, and which is funny because growing up in Kentucky, my extended family always had horses, but we never did. But I just, I just had this natural instinct to work with horses, and I'd be taking them out to the pasture and mucking out stalls. And these people are like, "Well, how long have you been working with horses?" I'm like, "A week." I just, you know, they, I just have this weird <laughs> connection with them, and I never really had a problem. I think my foot got stepped on one time, but other than that, I never really had a issue. It's funny though. People ask if I ever ridden horses. I'm like, yeah, but I can only ride English because I never rode Western saddles. And because I was working at a equestrian farm, the only saddles they had were English saddles. And so when I did ride, I was trying to learn how to post and ride English. 
that is too funny. Yeah. And now I'm just picturing, you know, uh, so our head trainer, her husband, uh, He's he's tall like you, so anytime I see him on a horse, it's just kind of funny looking. Mm-hmm. And now I'm picturing you posting on the English <laughs> saddle, all tall, <laughs> all six foot that's five. Only. Oh. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, no horses, they're amazing creatures. Uh, I've you know I've always I've always loved them, but uh, it wasn't until moving out here and really being them around, being around them every day, that I realized just how amazing they really are. What's the longest trek or longest uh, shoot you've gone on? How? What's the most hours, days even, did you spend out in the backcountry to, to get the shot that you're looking for? Um, and do you remember what animal it was? You no, know, I've spent probably, I don't know, 10 to 14 days wow. um, chasing elk. elk. Elk's my favorite. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but chasing big bull elk is, is kind of what I really like to do. So the last two Septembers, I've spent anywhere between 10 and 14 days out there. You know, one of the things I talk about on my World War II-based podcast, what's the Skullbutt podcast, is um, obviously when I'm out doing a two- or three-day event, especially if it's out of state or whatever, I you know, have the luxury and the benefit of camping out in an 80-year-old World War II pup tent on the hard ground. And I've, obviously, as you get older, the harder that is. Now my body's only good for about eight hours before I'm tossing and turning. But I try to explain to people who haven't slept on a ground in a long time um, what it does to your body. I mean, yes, it, it, it sucks laying on hard ground, but I'll tell you what, waking up the next day, just being outdoors, out outside in the sun, out in the weather for two or three days without literally walking inside of a solid structure with electricity or air it just does something to your soul, your spirit. And that's one of my favorite things about the World War II reenacting is obviously sharing history with people. But actually, one, it's the only time that people expect me not to answer my cell phone because they didn't exist in 1942. And so with the exception of taking photos, I don't have my phone on me. Um, we, At the end of the day, we're all sitting around by our tents, sitting around a, a campfire. We're actually talking and social interacting and pretending like it's 1993 all over again. And I try to get people who haven't done it in a long time go camping. There's just something about sleeping outside. Even if it's on a hard ground, you're tossing and turning all night. There's just something about returning the nature. That's just good for you. No, it, it absolutely is. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I recommend it for anybody. And actually, uh, recently I'd, I'd watched a document documentary on, uh, earthing, uh, uh, and it's basically grounding yourself to the earth and how, uh, how good it is for you. And, and I recommend anybody uh, who listens to this to, to have a look at it, but yeah, man, the, uh, the woods and, and nature, and that's good for everybody. I think. Yeah. It's funny. Another psychiatrist like in New York city and Chicago and in London, all that who tell their patients, Hey, go out to the park, take your shoes off and just walk around in the grass for 20 minutes. It actually has, you know, healing yeah. properties to it. And people kind of think it's goofy, but you know, we as a species have lived outdoors a hell of a lot longer than we've lived in the environments at which we are in now when you look at the great timeline of our our lives and our species and so it only makes sense that you know we return a little bit to nature no it's very true it's very true i agree if um you know someone was coming up to you and they said hey neil i i really love your photos and this is something i've been wanting to get into where would I even start? What kind of, I'm sure you've been asked that question before. And I know it's kind of questions like that. Um, you know, the, the, the quick and easy answer, which people don't like is just do it. Not to quote Nike and their, their marketing campaign from the nineties, which by the way, I was never a, a fan of that campaign until I actually started doing things like radio and podcasts and, and running my own business. People are like, well, how do you do? You just, you just do it. But other than telling people just right. to do it, what kind of advice would you give to somebody about trying to uh, get into the photography world, whether it's wildlife or contemporary or, or, or even landscaping around a city? Uh, you know, when people contact me, a lot of people want to know about equipment and about the equipment I use and, and, and stuff like that. And I always tell people to, to basically try and get the best that they can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but when it, when it all comes down to it for photography, it's light and composition. Um, so a lot of times I'll tell people, you know, 
study study light you know focus on the way the light shines on things and really pay attention to that because that's gonna be i mean that's photography in a nutshell to me um and then composition you know look for leading lines and and just look for for things that are, are pleasant to the eye and um you know i don't i guess you can be trained uh to look for composition and stuff but i think it's kind of you kind of ha have to have that too in you um do you think you got an advantage i don't know you know i mean the really what it comes down to is have fun <laughs> you know i i think that is for everything you know it I think the fact that I love what I do and I love these animals, uh, it, 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 it shines through your, your work. Um, so if you don't enjoy it, I think that shows up in your pictures. You know, you, you just kind of, you got to love it. You got to enjoy it and, and study, study light. Yeah. I was gonna say, do you think you have an advantage over some of the younger, your younger counterparts when it comes to growing up when we did and, Mr. Hardgrove's photography class where we actually had, we were shooting on 35 millimeter film. We were learning, you know, apertures, you know, using our light meters. And because back then when you're dropping seven to $8 on a roll of film, you know, every frame literally had to count, you know? And so you actually had to set up your shot more because it literally cost you money. And, uh, you know, unlike now where it's just shoot, shoot, shoot and go home and delete 500 photos, <laughs> You know, back then, it you know, you, when you're buying film, and especially if you're developing it yourself, and thank God we didn't have to spend, with the exception of what they charged us at the beginning of the class, you know, we weren't buying developer stop, bath, and fix out of pocket. But for photographers back then who were, you know, we kind of, we were in the transitional period. Um, I think it probably gave you a little bit of a, a leg up to have that fundamental education in the old school way. Yeah, you know, I definitely approach digital photography like film. Uh, for one, I just, like I said, I do not like to sit at the computer. I don't like going through all those images. And, you know, these cameras today, they'll shoot 10 frames a second, 20 frames mm -hmm. a second. And I'm I'm out in the field quite a bit with other photographers, and I hear that shutter just going off, and all I can think about is, oh, my gosh, I do not want to be the person sitting at the computer going through all those. Mm -hmm. So. I definitely try and be, and I, I certainly have missed photographs that if I were hammering down on the shutter, I probably would have got, but you know, I'm more kind of lean towards that old school and I'm, I'm looking for a specific moment. You know, I'm used to watching these animals move and, and that sort of thing. And I'm looking for particular movements and, and looking for my shot because I'm not trying to go through, you know, sure. I can fill up 128 gigs of photos real quick but uh at the end of the day i don't want to go through that well not to mention the more you're shooting the higher rate you're shooting the more battery power you're going through and the more batteries and more equipment you got to carry which is a heavier backpack and just everything counts out in the field it certainly does it it, it all it all counts for sure yeah so i definitely i definitely approach it more with a film film style to it you know i'm i'm real selective i'm watching watching how everything's unfolding and really just trying to put myself in the right place and you know honestly that came from uh spending t from doing it you know when i first got out there and and i'd get in front of animals i'd just start shooting a photo right where i was standing and shooting a bunch of photos and i wasn't ever even really thinking about it and uh it wasn't until I don't know, maybe a year into it where I really started, you know, looking back at my photos and I'm like, I got a bunch of garbage photos here. And then I really started kind of studying, uh, studying other photographers and, and kind of really getting serious about it. And, uh, it's, well, it is what it is now. I got a bunch of people following me for, for that. Well, going back to our pre-mentioned schooling, one of the rules they tried to, to, in still in us early on is there's a difference between a snapshot and a photo. And it sounds to me when you first got started, you have a lot of snapshots of animals and very few photos. That's exactly it. You're exactly right. You know, it was so crazy last Christmas. And, uh, and, and, and that's kind of the thing. 
that's kind of the thing is, uh, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be at a location and we'll have some, some animals in front of us and there'll be some other photographers. And it's that kind of deal where people start popping off photographs and I'm starting to look at uh, the landscape and trying to really put together a photograph and, and thinking about what this animal might do. Real, honestly, you really got to get ahead uh, of what's going to happen. I feel like that's that's the real key in the wildlife game uh, to to getting some of these shots. Is you you got to be you got to take the gamble and, and get ahead. Well, and I think the other advantage, you know, we kind of talked about using your hunting skills, but just as important, um, your outdoor skills when it comes to knowing wild uh, wild foliage and saying, okay, this animal likes this particular foliage. Hey, I see this elk. It's heading towards this tree. I know that if I stay put, he's probably going to go over to that particular bush that they're known for eating or going to this because you know that animal's behavior instead of just trying to get that snapshot before they run away, you know, okay, chances are he's heading in that direction. He's going to be, you know, safe about it and look out, but he's probably going to go to that area, eat that foliage. And luckily by then the, the sun's going to be down an extra three feet. The lighting's going to be better. That cloud's going to move to the left more and you can literally predict your shot a little bit better. That's it. You, you hit it right on the head. I mean, that's, those are the things that are going through my mind when, when I have an animal in front of me, I'm, I'm looking at all that. Well, first and foremost, I look at the light and then I kind of survey the, the terrain and depending on what kind of animal or how many animals I'm dealing with, then what, what do I think they're going to do? What's their next move? You know, sure. I could start taking photos right there, but I'm really trying to, to document these, these animals in their, their best situations. So yeah, a lot of time it's I look at light first, then terrain, and uh, and and then I make my moves and, and just try and uh, try and set myself up to really make a nice photograph. Is there any particular world of photography that you've really wanting to get into, but uh, whether due to time or just haven't gotten to the area? I know you said you do more than just wildlife stuff. Is there any particular type of photography that you've been wanting to get into, but just haven't had the uh, motivation or the opportunity to? Um, you know, I've always been interested in like street photography and actually kind of like um, – somewhat uh like lifestyle stuff sure uh, i wouldn't mind doing some hunting and fishing lifestyle stuff but i i've always enjoyed uh street photography like from a, a candid perspective and uh i like a lot of like black and white street style you know i just had a thought that was and i've and i could be wrong on this ahead. but i feel that, that sort of photography was probably easier and harder back in the day harder obviously because the technology behind photography has come such a long way um, and it's more readily available. But the the other problem with the, now that the fact that everybody has a camera on them, literally on their phones, everybody's conditioned to pose now. And so it's so much harder to get a natural photo. Like when I'm at a World War II event, I'm just trying to get a, a quick snapshot of some guys talking in front of a tent or, you know, giving the weapons demo. If anybody in that particular area sees your camera in the peripheral, they just stop and give you these cheap, you know, looking at the camera. It's like, no, I'm trying to get the natural you in your natural environment where it's probably easier to shoot animals nowadays because every damn human out there, they're ready to set up for the, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeVille. And it's just so, it's probably, no. probably a little bit easier 30 years ago when people were still a little more camera shy. No, absolutely. I agree. Um, and, and I like to push myself and go out in the city and, and walk around the streets with my cameras and, and try and get those candid shots. But, uh, it, I definitely am not comfortable doing it. You know, one, I don't like, you know, feeling like I'm stealing people's photos or, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's a weird thing. Uh, but I am so comfortable in the woods and yeah. with, with animals and that sort of thing. It's like, it's second nature at this point for me, but, uh, you know, I like being creative, so I, I try and push myself and go shoot different things. But yeah, you know, when I'm in the city and I'm looking for those candid shots and looking at architecture and stuff, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a different deal, um, it's but so, it's neat. You know, it's, it's so funny looking back on the human timeline, primarily in the seventies, eighties and nineties before everybody had a camera 
Um, well, one before everybody had a camera because cameras used to be expensive. But you can go back and even go on YouTube and you can look at old videos from like the seventies and eighties. Like the instinct everybody had when the camera was on them was to flick it off. That's <laughs> just like the thing everybody used to do. Like no one wanted their pictures taken. No one wanted to be in video. There's probably hours and hours if you were able to go through time travel, collect everybody's film and everyone's photos. There's probably weeks worth of just nonstop footage and still frame photos of people flicking off cameras because people, you know, they weren't as open to photography and videography as we are now. We're just conditioned to it because we're, we're around cameras 24 seven. I can't even tell you how many cameras I've flicked off in my time. <laughs> Literally to this day, ATM I still cameras, do red light cameras. It's it's just terrible. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Yeah. What a world. Well, and the other thing is, too, I think about, because, you know, obviously I, I did eight semesters of photography class and spent a lot of time shooting skateboard photos and videos. And I have a 22-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old daughter. And, and I'm thinking, especially the 12-year-old, when they get to be our age, they're not going to have any photos. Photo albums are gone. And every time a phone gets yeah. replaced, every time a hard drive crashes, um, you know, every time something gets encrypted by ransomware, that's just lost memories. Whereas I can just come into my studio, walk over three feet, and I can pull photos of me in high school right now. And that's kind of the sad thing is because analog photos have gone by the wayside. And I was going to say earlier, it was so crazy last Christmas um, amongst the younger cats, even the 20-year-olds. Um Ironically, it wasn't Polaroid, but Fujifilm, they put out a Polaroid camera, an Instamatic camera. And I know like six, my daughter got one last year, her cousin got one. And even, it's funny because her cousin's mom's like 28. And so, you know, she's she's wasn't around during the original Polaroids. And for just a span of, I don't know, two weeks to a month because they lose interest so quickly. It was cool to see how excited people were to actually hold a, a photo in their hand and, and to shoot a photo and, and watch it develop right in front of them. I was like, it's kind of refreshing just to travel back in time for, for those few weeks to see how excited people were to get their hands, literally get their hands on some photos instead of swiping through somebody's phone. No, absolutely. And uh, it's my favorite thing to do. I mean, when I print my photos off and actually get to hold them and see them, uh, you know, because so much of it lives, you know, on my Instagram. So there's a lot of there's a lot of my photos that have never, ever been printed, which is sad. And I've lost thousands of images from hard drives crashing Mm -hmm. from my own stupidity of deleting things because I'm just really I'm not a a computer guy at all so well if you haven't done so already it it is very sad if you haven't done so already um at least get it get one in the external hard drive format and that is a solid state drive they're basically like big ass flash drives there's no moving parts and so unless you spill water on that Mm -hmm. or the thing shorts out you won't ever have to worry about failure on it and then that'll definitely preserve your your photos and uh, I've just been talking uh, with somebody about that recently because uh, I have another hard drive that's kind of on the fritz. And I was talking to another photographer friend of mine, and he's like, you just have to go solid state. Yeah, and the good news uh, is the price so, is coming yeah. down on those. Yep. Yeah, the price you know, is coming down. D- uh, my camera now, it's you know 36 megapixels, and it it adds up real quick so when you're looking at a terabyte for 200 bucks or whatever compared to you know four terabytes for 90 dollars or whatever you can get a uh whatever the other hard drive is yeah it's uh yeah I, I need to invest in some solid state stuff for sure real quick um before we let you go uh camera technology has it kind of plateaued out where it's not so painful because you know especially Time travels fast for us, but you know, going back to thinking of the quality of a digital camera in 2005 versus today, or even going back to 2010 when the you know DSLRs came out, you know, you have these hardcore photographers. They'd buy a camera that was you know 16 megapixels, and then 12 months later, 
you know, a 20 megapixel came out. Has it at least plateaued out enough right now that you're not like, shit, man, I just bought this camera. Now there's one that's twice the megapixels that just came out. Uh, unfortunately, no, it's, uh, it's still going. Um, I mean, I've been shooting this body now for four years, but, uh, I'm, I'm starting to actually move into the mirrorless side of things. Uh, Sony just released, well, I guess it was last year. Um, uh, I think it's 64 megapixel. I mean, they're, we're getting into almost medium format you know, digital cameras, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, and people definitely get wrapped up in gear and, and people contact me all the time about gear. Um, and, and, and nice cameras and nice gear will definitely help out, but you can take, I mean, if you, you can just look back in history at photographs and see, you know, what some of these amazing photographs were taken on and it wasn't a 64 megapixel, 20 frames a second, you know, camera. Well, I think that can be said for about any sport. I mean, you know, if you don't know the fundamentals and you're not practicing it or studying it, whether it's a sport or a hobby, if you just, the equipment can only get you so far. And if you don't have the fundamentals, the passion and the education and whatever it is you're trying to do, you know, um, some may say that, uh, you know, somebody with passion, skill, and education can achieve more than somebody without that with the best equipment easily. Absolutely. And uh, I run into it myself. You know, I'm I'm, I'm out there, you know, my setup, it's not cheap, but uh, I'm definitely uh, running a more economical setup than most of the guys that are doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it definitely comes down to the fundamentals. I agree completely. And sadly, um, since you, you, like you said, you don't really have the artist in you doesn't allow your, um, your mind to meander down the, the long trails that are required for, you know, making a solid living off of your photography. But the good news about that is, is since you're not doing it, you don't know how many of your photos are being stolen and sold out from underneath you. I've talked to some people here locally and that may sound bad. For example, I do computer work for a framing gallery and an art gallery and uh, the husband and wife, they're artists. They, they frame pictures to pay for the, the overhead, but they paint and they do their own stuff. And then on my world war two podcast, I had a interview with a local underwater diver who went down to um, Peleliu and down to Tarawa area was doing underwater diving. And even she locally was walking through a, um, local art fair and there's a booth and there's this underwater photo of a turtle and she's like that looks familiar went home found the original photo went back the next day and found out someone lifted her photo off of the internet printed it out framed it up was selling it as original art and it just oh my lord yeah Yeah. it's definitely happening out there you know i wouldn't be surprised if somebody hasn't done some of that with some of my stuff i mean at this point you know, I don't even have watermarks or anything on, on my stuff. I just, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe one day uh, we'll see, you know, it's for me, I've sold stuff, people contact me, but, uh, as far as like pushing myself or, you know, trying to push my art onto other people, you know, I don't know. I'm just, it's tough for me. Hey, you know, I can get that. It's not everybody's bag. And some might even say that, uh, when if you seriously start going down that route or p- maybe perhaps people in the past who have that it kind of it takes away the heart and the passion from the project and now it's more hurry up and let's get some new photos done because i need another paycheck right right yeah you know i'm more thinking i need to find somebody who's willing to invest in me yeah and and my work and you know get a percentage you know kind of work it as find somebody who's you know that's what they're good at and let me be good at taking photographs you know or even still i mean you can even look around and try to find you know maybe some of these photo equipment companies who um are come out with some new stuff or recently launched who may not have the notoriety some of the bigger ones and say hey you know want you to send me some of your equipment on loaner i'll try it out and we'll see what we come up with and then you know, you're getting some equipment you can use for a couple of weeks before you send it back, and they're getting someone who's testing out their stuff and seeing what the, you know, the field life is and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, the the longer I go down this road, the more I I am, you know, feeling like I I could make something of it. You know, whether I could do it full time or not, that remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, like you know, I I am gonna try and do more video this year. I think um, I think that's gonna be a, a neat little deal. Really, I want to do some video and then kind of share clips of of what i'm seeing and then still have my snapshots as, or you know f- photographs to, <laughs> to share with it to kind of give some people uh a little more um movement uh you know and kind of see what's actually going on and then still have that static you know moment well not only that but i think you know particularly your fans and people who would follow you on youtube they would they would earn a you know simple concept you start at the video here's this photo what did it take to get this photo and then you go into the time last footage of the film where you trudging through creeks up to your waist in water and climbing over hills and you know sleeping out in the field overnight and just showing them what someone in your line of passion and hobby goes through to get that shot that you know oh that's a great photo well yes it's a great photo here's what it took to get it and i really think and (laughs) and and honestly i mean there's a youtube channel called uh adventure with purpose the guy's an underwater diver and i never realized how many cars have been sunken or abandoned for insurance fraud at boat docks and by bridges he's going around like colorado and like a, a washington state And for like every boat dock on a river he goes to, he pulls out like six or seven cars that's been underwater for like 30 years. And I'm not a scuba diver. I have no interest in it, but I find it interesting. Here's a guy who goes, he's traveling all around the uh, Northwest getting called into these cities. His YouTube channel got to the point where a local sheriff's office who didn't have the dive logistics that he does um, they called him out, said, Hey, you know, our weather's going to turn within three weeks. We have a report that, uh, you know, this, this missing person may be in his truck and we think maybe in this part of the river, I'll be damned if, uh, he didn't call this guy out. They went down there and they found the truck and sadly the guy was inside of it. And, you know, that's one of the things they have to do is every single car he pulls out, they have a protocol one before he pulled out, they got to check to see if there's anybody, a body in there. And usually, 98% of the cars that are underwater, the windows are rolled down because it's insurance fraud. People want them to sink fast so they can get the hell out of there. And so most of them, the windows are rolled down. The ones that kind of scare them at first is if the windows are rolled up. And then when they pull them up onto the boat ramp, they got to pop the trunk and make sure there's no nothing in the back. He's found guns and safes and all kinds of stuff. But once again, even if you're not in a scuba diver, just the fact of watching a 10-minute video of the efforts this guy goes through to get pollutants out of the, the river, his channel is blowing up. And so even someone who may not have an interest in the root project, just seeing how the, the, the hot dogs made, it's just interesting as hell. And I really think you would, uh, stand to gain some, uh, some viewers and, you know, and, and expand your art doing that too. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm definitely going to try and do some more video stuff and try and get some behind the scenes type stuff and, you know, kind of share, you know, at least start with um, my followers on Instagram, you know, with my story and stuff, kind of give some people a little more uh, personality. I don't think a lot of people really know anything about me or, you know, I don't really put anything personal up. I sure. basically just share my photography. So, you know, I think people like having that connection uh, with with people that um, that they follow. So I'm going to try and make an effort to do a little more of that, you know. Well, Neil Doppies. Colorado Deer Trail, Colorado. It's Deer Trail it just sounds like a, a beautiful place. What's the population? Well, you probably don't know unless you drive by the sign every day. What's the what's <laughs> vaguely the population of Deer Trail, Colorado? It's I wouldn't even be able to guess. It's got to be really small. I mean, there's nothing out here. It's just a bunch of big horse ranch, big horse and cattle ranches. Can't think of a better place to be during a global pandemic than out in the middle of nowhere. Yes, sir. I've been enjoying it, riding my horse every day, chasing wild turkeys. Yeah, man, it's been good. What kind of do you own a horse, or you just uh, ride the ones that they have there on the ranch? I, I, I do. I have a, a five-year-old Mustang from uh, Nevada that I've been working with the last uh, year and a half or so. Nice. How many hands is it? Yeah, 
She's 16 hands. She's wow. she's a giant Mustang. That's a big girl. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, man, I'm envious and I'm thrilled to actually get a chance to talk to you in person for the first time in probably 26 years. You know, it's so crazy. Easily. It's so crazy before this whole worldwide pandemic thing started. Um, two people that we went to high school with who just happened to, well, both of them were in the military. They both happened just to retire down here. Brian Gilman lives like 35 minutes from me. And then, no, 45 minutes from me. And Eric Hill, who I think was in your class, lives like 35 minutes from me. And we were actually talking about getting together and going canoeing on the Peace River. And we were supposed to do it like the Saturday, all this nonsense broke and when everything started getting canceled. So I was going to actually see some people from high school that I haven't seen in 20 years who just happened to move down to where I live. And then the whole world went to shit. And so here we are. Right. Well, that's amazing, man. You yeah. know, it can be a small world, right? Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely crazy. Um, did you know Ed Monette? I did. Yeah, that was definitely news that I wasn't expecting. That's for sure. Well, the crazy thing is before that all happened, he well, he used to live in Jacksonville. And, and you know, him and my brother were really good friends. And he used to come to my house in high school and play my dad's guitar and teach me how to play guitar. And he lived in Jacksonville and did some time in Tampa. Well, like the summer before his, you know, his passing, he actually came down to my town on vacation, which was Fort Myers, Florida. And I didn't know until the week he left. <laughs> and I don't know where he stayed, but his rental car got stolen from his his uh, hotel that he stayed at over in Fort Myers. It's like, I don't know what part of town he stayed in, but it's like, I don't, I've never met anybody's had their car stolen while on vacation. And I was, I was bummed that he was here in my town. And I didn't get a chance to hang out with him because I didn't even see his post until he got back home to Columbus. But uh, it, it's it, another example of small world. And there's, there's actually been, um, Another person we I graduated with, um, you know, her family has property down here, and I have yet to run into her, and she's been down here a few times. I've actually gotten a lot of messages from some Grove City alumni who come down here on vacation. Of course, they don't send me messages until after they're gone. Maybe that's a hint of their opinions of me, but it <laughs> <laughs> remains to be seen. That's too funny. Well, Neil, thank oh, you man. so much for that's your time, great. and uh, keep it up, and and I uh, hope the uh, bartending oh, now with the the now you bartend in Denver and I'm sure all the bars are closed down there because of this, right? Yeah, uh, my last day of work was the 12th of March, so uh, and they've pretty much pushed all concerts back at least to the beginning of June at this point. So I'm. Yeah, I'm not really feeling that, but uh, it is what it is, you know, I'm. I'm always making the best of all situations, so I mean, know, that's pretty I'll, much, I'll, I'll figure things out. That's pretty much where we're all at. Um, I, because my IT firm and all that, I just spent the last two days applying for the uh, Paycheck Protection Plan. Uh, we'll see if that comes through or not. But um, my fiance is a school teacher, and we're been, she's been teaching classes out of the podcast studio. My 12-year-old daughter's been doing the distance learning stuff, and that's that's just crazy. You know, and mm-hmm. as somebody who hosts a, yeah. a history podcast, it's like I'm just looking at this in the long view. It's like you realize when, like, when we're like 60 and 70 and the anniversary rolls around to this nonsense, there's going to be somebody out there looking for someone to talk to. Remember when the uh, COVID-19 pandemic? Oh, yes, I was 30. <laughs> I was 41 years old. And we're li- we're literally living through history right now. And the crazy thing was is my daughter was doing oh, yeah. a, a history uh, fair about three months ago and three or four of the kids around there were doing a big report on the Spanish flu of, you know, 1904 or 1901, whatever it was. And so hundred years from now, some kids going to be doing a, uh, you know, a history report on COVID-19 and how it affected the world in such crazy ways. You know, it's just of all the things we've lived through, you know, golf war, nine 11 and, all that stuff. This was never on my radar of even being remotely possible outside of a of a science fiction movie. It's just crazy. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely been wild, I, and it you know it it ramped up real quick. You know it. Uh, yeah, we're, we're we're definitely living it. <laughs> well, friends, stay safe. Go out there and get some more photography, and tell everybody where they can find you. 
Well, you can find me on my Instagram at ndoppies, uh, N-D-O-P-P-E-S, um, on Instagram. That's that's pretty much it. And as I appreciate all, you having me on. Not a problem. Uh, sorry it took so so damn long. Hey, <laughs> not a problem. I'm going to get your dad on my World War II podcast and talk about his arsenal and his Jeeps and all that stuff. But that's another story from another time. Oh. But, but as always, anytime we have a guest on, and uh, head over to failtofail.com, especially if you're listening to this via Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere fine podcasts are heard, head over to failtofail.com, find the page that coincides with this episode. And as always, I have links to any uh, potent uh, Instagram page, Facebook pages, as well as some photos of who we're talking to. So if you want to see Neil Doppies and all his glory and uh, maybe some examples of some of his fine photos, head on over to failtofail.com. And as always, please subscribe on to whatever um, vehicle of podcast you're listening to this through. And uh, thank you guys so much. And we'll see you here in a few more episodes. Hey, Neil, thanks so much, man. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, buddy. It's been great. Have a good night. This has been a Digital 410 production. <laughs>